Praise God. You may be seated. What a great hymn of the faith. It just tells the whole story, doesn't it? It tells the whole gospel story. And um, I just remember that was one of the first hymns that I ever learned. When I was, uh, man, I must have been 20. And I was at a small church here in Jersey and just a brand new Christian. And the lady who was leading worship had just retired. And so the pastor said, hey, I heard you play guitar and sing a little bit. I said, I, you know, I knew a few chords. He said, good, you're leading worship next week. I said, wow. And I didn't grow up in the church, so I didn't know any hymns. And he, he said, well, I'll teach you the hymns Sunday morning. And so I get together in the pastor's office, and he would teach me two hymns. And then about 20 minutes later, I'd get up there and lead them. Nothing like what Brother Bob does, but... Um, that was one of the first ones I learned, and it's amazing the power of music, how it could just bring us back, and it makes connections, right, to, to people and places and times in our lives, and so uh, what a great hymn that just, again, it tells the whole story, and it really is what the Apostle Paul was all about. As we're studying the book of Acts together, this unstoppable mission of the church, the, the church on mission moving forward, we see the Holy Spirit working through all of this, and the Apostle Paul has been out on the mission field, and he is now back, and um, he's suffering so many different trials and tribulations and difficulties, but yet what he is true to is this gospel story that we were just singing. We were reminded last week about how he just, he, you know, a couple of weeks ago he shared his testimony, and in just the face of, of a trial and difficulty and those that wanted to kill him, he took the opportunity to just say why he was the way he was. And uh, it's really no different in our passage today where the Apostle Paul is in chains and he recognizes that his life has really changed now. His ministry has changed, but yet the gospel and the message has not changed. You know, we like to say that, that the method that we might use to bring the message, to worship God, it changes, right? The way that we do this Christian life together, it changes. The method might change, but the message never changes. And that was true to the Apostle Paul. So even in his dire circumstances, he still was focusing on the gospel and especially the resurrection. When we say that Jesus Christ, because he lives, he is coming back. And we celebrate that all the time. And that is our great hope. So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning as we uh, dive right back into God's word. We are in Acts 23. It's verses 1 to 11. It'll be up on the screen for you. But again, where we find ourselves is remember that uh, Paul is facing the, um, he's facing the council of the leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and, and uh, they want to you know, string him up. They want to kill him and uh, eliminate him once and for all. He's been in this position many times. And Paul goes about trying to defend himself, representing who he is, and especially what he believes, regardless of the circumstances. But really what we're going to focus on is the very last verse in this passage. It's Acts 23, verse 11. So I'm going to read the whole passage. But when we get there, just notice the interaction between the risen Lord Jesus and the Apostle Paul in verse 11. That's going to be our focus for today. And how God, our God, our Creator, encourages us every step of the way. All right? So here's what it says in Acts 23. It's verses 1 to 11. He says, In looking intently 
at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. Then the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him in the mouth. And Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet, contrary to the law, you order me to be struck. Those who stood by said, Would you revile God's high priest? Then Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. But now when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other were Pharisees, he cried out to the whole council. He said, Brothers, I am a Pharisee. I'm the son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial. When he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection or angels or spirit, but the Pharisees, they acknowledge them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party, they stood up and contended sharply, We find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. And then verse 11. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. It's a similar story to what we've been seeing the last couple of weeks. Paul is in dire straits. There are men in the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the whole elder council, that want to see him put to death. For who he is and who he represents and the words that he is saying. But then it comes to the point where he says, let me tell you why I'm really on trial here. He says it's really about the hope of the resurrection. He said really nothing else because that is what Paul was preaching. We were just singing about it. That was the great hope of Christians It is our great hope today that one day the Lord will return because he rose from the dead and he is alive today. See, it is that empty tomb that we celebrate, right? Every day, not just on Easter Sunday, but every day. And so we see that Paul says, I know why I'm on trial today. It's because I believe and I'm preaching the resurrection of the dead, that Jesus actually came back to life. And see, he noticed that, that there was a division See, because you had in this council the Pharisees and the Sadducees, both religious leaders in their own right, right? Groups of religious leaders. But the Sadducees, it says in verse 8, they don't believe in the resurrection or angels or the Spirit. See, but the Pharisees do. So there was dissension. What do we do? So half the group now wanted to kill Paul, and the other half were saying, okay, I think we're okay with Paul on this topic because we believe as he does. There is resurrection of the dead that's possible there's angels and there's spirit so it says in verse 9 there's a great clamor and and there's a great division and dissension and even became violent paul can you imagine he's like this again right it became so violent that once again just like we saw last time that the tribune had to take the soldiers and rescue him 
from the violent religious leaders. And they had to bring him back to the barracks like they did last time. Remember when they dragged him out of the temple and they accused him falsely and they had the soldiers had to come in and take him out to the barracks. And then Paul shared his testimony, right? So it's the same thing here. So they take him out of that situation. But verse 11 is really where we want to kind of park ourselves this morning. That's the background. That's the story, the scene that's happening. But here's, here's the important point. It says in verse 11, the following night. So after this had all happened, Paul had some time to kind of come down and, and uh, he is still in chains. He is in chains in the barracks. It says the following night, the Lord stood by him. And he said to Paul, take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me here in Jerusalem, you must testify also in Rome. The Lord Jesus says, take courage. Two great words. He says, take courage. He says that to us this morning as well. Take courage. In the face of Paul's dire straits, the Lord appears to him and stands beside him and says, take courage. You've been my witness here. You're going to be my witness in Rome. Remember, that's where Paul wanted to go. He wanted to get to Jerusalem, but ultimately to Rome. Paul is probably feeling really discouraged and disillusioned about what's going on, everything that's happening around him. And the Lord Jesus comes beside him. His presence is made known and Jesus says, I'm with you. He comes up beside him and says, you've been faithful here. I'm going to send you to Rome. So it's three very simple things that we see that the Lord Jesus does for Paul and he does it for us as well. He encourages us in our present situation. But He also encourages us about our faithfulness in the past, but then also encourages us with a promise for the future. See? It's about the past, present, and the future is what we see unfold here. Let me show you four other examples of the Lord Jesus saying these simple words, take courage. You can make a note of that. They'll be up on the screen for you. But look at these great um, times of encouragement from the Lord Jesus to different people that he met. Where he says in Matthew 9, 2, to a paralytic who was lying on his bed, Jesus simply said, take courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. He says those words. The same words we see in our passage today. He says, take courage. Maybe some of you in your version it says, take heart. It's the same representation. Take heart. Take courage. Be of good courage. Don't worry. I am with you. In Matthew 9, 22, a little bit later in that chapter, to the woman uh, with the hemorrhage who touched the fringe of Jesus' coat. Remember that? What did he say? He said, daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. He says those great words again. Take courage. In Matthew 14, 27, to the disciples who thought that Jesus was when he was walking on water, they thought he was a ghost. Remember that? He said, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. You see a pattern here? Jesus saying, take courage. Do not be afraid. I am with you. Take courage. Do not fear, for I am with you. And finally, in John sixteen thirty three, he says this to the disciples on the night that he was betrayed. He said, these things, all these things I have spoken to you, 
so that in me you may have peace. Because in the world you have tribulation. But take courage, for I have overcome the world. Do you see that? Do you see the message of Jesus is hope? And he says, take courage. To all these people who are in distress and struggling and suffering from something or another, he says, take courage. I know we have all gathered in this place this morning, and in some way, no matter what's going on in your life, you recognize that there's a trial that you're dealing with. Maybe you've already been through a season of great trial and and struggle. Perhaps you're right in the thick of it, or maybe coming out of it. We know that that seems to happen in seasons in our life, right? But we know from God's precious word that he is always there with us. Saying these words that he said the Apostle Paul, take courage. So we should make, we should make note of that this morning. That in our difficulties and our trials, he says take courage. You know, on, on Wednesday night at our Thanksgiving Eve service, we had an opportunity to, to share testimonies. And many of you were here. And what a great A blessing it is to see how God is blessing other people. It reminds us that during our struggles that, yes, God is alive and at work. And he wants to be in our lives as well. And the message for that evening from God's word was simply about giving thanks during times of difficulty. Why? Why can we give thanks? Because of what it says here. Jesus says to us, take courage. Take heart. Do not worry, do not fear, for I am with you. Now this actually seems to be a command of the Lord Jesus. It might be a gentle and gracious command, but it seems like it's a command nonetheless. He doesn't suggest it. He says, take courage, take courage, take courage. So if it is a command from the Lord Jesus, it certainly implies that we can choose to obey it or ignore it. If we disobey it, being stubborn and refusing the help that He sends through His promises and through fellow believers encouraging us, and then we will reap that benefit. But when we obey it, we say thank You, Lord, for His faithful love. And we trust in Him and His Word. See, the Lord encourages us through His presence. So let's look at these three things just briefly. How does He encourage us? He encourages us With His presence. By being with us. What does it say in the verse? It says, The following night the Lord stood by Him. Were you ever in such a time of despair and darkness that all you could do was just cling to the, the hope and the knowledge that Jesus was there with you? I mean, we have the Holy Spirit within us, don't we? He doesn't leave us. Word says He doesn't leave us or forsake us. But He is always there with us. It is in His very presence. And that's what we gain when we read His Word, when we encourage each other as a church, when we pray. What we are reminded of is His presence. Right? We call upon the name of Jesus in our times of distress. We are simply calling for His presence to be made known to us and to be real. Do you sense that? Do you understand that? Do you believe that? That the Lord Jesus is ever-present with you. He is, as the Word says, an ever-present help in times of trouble. He's always there with us. 
So the first thing he does for the Apostle Paul in his time of difficulty, and Paul probably just confused about what's going to be next for him. Has he lost his voice for the gospel? It seems like he can no longer be out on the mission field. Is this it? Paul is probably asking himself, is, is this what it's come to? But the Lord Jesus, the next night, when he's alone, comes beside him. It says he stood beside him. Don't we just need that? Don't we just long for that, that the Lord Jesus just is beside us and we can feel that and feel his presence? You know, we know that our Heavenly Father is just that, our Father. We are his children. When you were a child, didn't you just often just long to climb into the lap of your parents or to a loved one and and just especially during a time maybe of a storm or you hurt yourself or a a time of confusion, whatever it is, and you just want to curl up on the lap of your heavenly Father. That's what we want to do, right? Because what does he say to us in a very gentle voice? He says, take courage, my child. Take courage, my son, my daughter. For I am with you. No other words needed. Not even, here's what I'm going to do for you. Let it be enough that I am with you. Second Timothy 4 says this, At my first defense, this is Paul saying these words to Timothy. He's encouraging him. He says, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me. and all deserted me. May it not be charged against them, But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Paul is even saying, even when my friends deserted me, I had the Lord with me. Does it sound like Job? Right? Paul is saying, don't even blame them. They all deserted me, but I had the Lord Jesus. Because he came and stood by me. And he gave me strength, right? So when we go through severe trials, we are in those deep valleys of discouragement, of despair. Our enemy can tempt us to doubt God's presence in our life. That will lead us to feel hopeless. God is with us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. He has taken up residence in us through the person of the Holy Spirit. See, it says we are now the temple of God. He lives within us. So even through the valleys and the mountaintops, we are to be encouraged because we have His continued presence. You know, we might not think that we have much in this world of possessions, positions, luxuries. If you have the Lord with you, you are certainly rich, aren't you? Heard on the news yesterday, that um, the the, uh, the founder and owner of is it Amazon just yesterday became supposedly the first person right to reach the 100 billion mark as far as his net worth right first person I think in a long time can you imagine that 100 billion dollars I mean he could come into this church and he could write us a check for one billion dollars. And still have $99 billion left, right? I mean, it's unfathomable. Here's a man who's got so much money. But yet we know as Christians, no matter what we have in terms of what the world can offer, we have the Lord Jesus and we are rich indeed. 
We have to remember that true contentment has nothing to do with our circumstances, but rather our attitude in our circumstances. Paul had learned to keep the right perspective, that he would be content and have joy in want or in plenty, no matter the circumstances. So in your present situation today, what is your perspective like? How is your attitude? You know, our circumstances will always change, but how we react to those circumstances can lead us one direction or the other. It's been said this way, do you see your circumstances through the lens of God's faithfulness? Or do you see God's faithfulness through the lens of your own circumstances? See, remember that true contentment and joy, they come from within and is therefore available to us every day of our lives. So the Lord Jesus encourages us as followers by his very presence. But what else does he do for the Apostle Paul? It says he stood by him and then he says, take courage. Why? For you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem. He also encourages us by his praise, not only his presence, but by his praise. What do I mean by that? It's by um, God recognizing and um, reminding us in many ways of our past faithfulness. See, we tend to focus on past failures, don't we? But God can remind us of our past faithfulness, remembering the work that we have done for Him. So He encourages us in our present by His presence, but He encourages us about our past through praising. So the Lord had declared to Paul, right, that He was fully aware of how he had testified him in Jerusalem. He says, he, it says that the Lord stood by him and he says, you have testified me. You have been faithful to me here in Jerusalem. Paul had probably thought, what, what's the use? Look at what I'm going through. Has my preaching, has my standing for the hope and the resurrection made any difference? God says, yes, you've been faithful. You've been faithful. Remember the prophet Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, Right? didn't see much, if any, success in his lifetime. But how do we measure success? Through the world standards or God's standards? See, it's all a matter of that perspective. So God will remind us in our times of despair about our faithfulness in the past. Right? That yes, He was with us. Because we probably see nothing but failure, just like Paul did. But Christ came to him that night and reminded him You were faithful to me here. What an encouragement that must have been for Paul. Sometimes when our circumstances are bad, we're tempted to think that God has forgotten that work we've done for Him. But look at what it says in Hebrews 6. It says, For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for His name in serving the saints as you still do. God is a just and loving God. And He recognizes our faithfulness to Him. Not only is He present with us now, with His very presence, but He will encourage us by reminding us of our faithfulness in the past. And then finally, He also encourages us about the future. Not only the present and the past, but the future through His promise. So He encourages us with His presence. He encourages us With praise, He encourages us with His promise. 
by providing future opportunities to serve Him despite what we might see as past failures or current failures. God is a God of promises, is He not? We see it all the way back from the Old Testament through today that God is a promise keeper. He has kept many of those promises in the Lord Jesus Christ, some that He is still going to keep to His people and to us as His church that He will continue to keep every single one of His promises. Right? In His present circumstances, the Apostle Paul probably could not see another opportunity to preach the gospel. He said, well, my missionary days are over. I'm in chains, and so what good am I? Right? He was only human. So he was probably thinking, I am no longer able to to preach and move about and, and go throughout the lands that I know that I'm called to go to. And so he was probably feeling depressed about it. Even a few months earlier, he had said in his preaching that he wanted to preach Christ in Rome. That's where he wanted to get to. And Jesus knew that. In our verse, in verse 11, it says that Jesus came and stood by him. The Lord stood by him. Right? He was present with him. And it said that he said, you have been faithful to me as a witness here in Jerusalem. So he remembers what he's done. But he says, I will send you to Rome. Doesn't he say that? He says, you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem. Meaning specifically the resurrection. Because that's what Paul said that he was really on trial for. But he says, so you must testify also in Rome. God is saying, no matter what the circumstances might seem to you, it's my will that you go to Rome and I'll get you there. Right? So what was Paul's purpose and calling? It's the same as ours. Faithful. To be faithful. To take one step at a time. One foot in front of the other. One day after the other. So God comes to Paul and He tells him, indeed, you're going to have opportunities. You're going to go to Rome as I have called you to do. He is not done with him. He is not done with us. See, again, our enemy can tempt us to focus and concentrate on our failures. Don't we kind of find like that's where we go normally? Right? To our failures, to sins, to the point even where we can be convinced that we're no longer usable by God. But that certainly is a lie. No matter what we've done, no matter what you've done in your past, whether it was this morning or 20 years ago, God can take us from where we are and use us for His glory. He promises us that. God's grace can restore us to useful service for His glory. Just because, listen, just because you may have failed, it does not make you a failure. Your identity is not tied to your actions, but to whom God has made you in Christ. Can you do something for me? Just close your eyes. I want to read these words again. This is God's promise to you. His words of encouragement this morning. Just close your eyes and listen again to these words. These words are meant for you this morning. Just because you may have failed... It does not make you a failure. Your identity is not tied to your actions, but to whom God has made you in Christ. Do you believe that? You believe that this morning? I hope you do. I end with this. You know, there's a very popular verse in Jeremiah 29:11. A lot of us can probably 
uh, recite that. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, right? Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. It's one that many a believer clings to, right? And rightly so. Now we want to look at the context of this and the way that we'll, we'll end this look at God's encouragement to us this morning. But what was he doing? God was certainly encouraging his people Israel, right? This is in the Old Testament. Through Jeremiah the prophet, he says to his people, I know the plans I have for you. I have a plan for you. Just like he said to Paul, I have a plan for you to go to Rome. I'll get you there. Don't worry. I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. It certainly is a verse that we love to hold dearly to, and we should. But look at the context of what he's saying. We never hear verse 10 quoted. So look at the verse right before it. What does it say in verse 10 that leads us to verse 11? It says, this is what the Lord says. Here's the beginning words of the Lord Jesus. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. See, what's happening is God is saying, I will restore you. My children, my people of Israel, who were in exile because of their disobedience. But only when the 70 years of judgment and trial are completed. See, then God is saying He will fulfill His gracious promise to restore them to their land. That 70-year exile was a part of God's plan to give, finally, His people a hope and a future, right? So whether it's judgment for disobedience, whether it's simply trials and tribulations that God is allowing in our lives, what would be the purpose? Would prompt us and move us to seek God wholeheartedly once again. Once God's people had turned their back to Him, then it says He would gather them from all the nations from which they had been Uh, banish and return them to their land see the larger purpose of god allowing their difficulties was to simply bring israel back to himself it's the same thing that god does with us he allows struggles he allows difficulties in our lives but he does it for his purposes and ultimately for our benefit But He certainly does, through the midst of it all, promise to never leave us. So He's with us now in ever-present help in times of trouble. He remembers our faithfulness from the past. He promises a future of hope as His servants that He will use us, if we are willing, to be witnesses to His great love and providence. So our great hope, because of the resurrection, which is what Paul was preaching, he even said to the council, that's why I'm on trial today. I know it because of what I'm preaching. Our great hope is that Christ will return. We anticipate His coming as His church, do we not? We even sang about it in our hymn. We look forward to His return. Next Sunday is the first Sunday of the Advent season. Actually, celebrating the birth of our Savior, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, we celebrate His first advent, His first coming, but it also anticipates His return. See, we have a hope to share during the Christmas season, but always and every day, because we know of His promise 
for a hope and a future, and a future with him. He is ever-present with us now. He was with us in the past, and he'll remind us of our faithfulness, but he also gives us a promise for the future, and that is how God encourages us today. Let's pray together. Father, what a glorious thing to know that our Creator, our Heavenly Father, is with us every step of the way. Father, we know that there may be times in our daily walk with you that we feel like that perhaps you have left us, that we are distant, that you're not answering our prayers, that perhaps you've forgotten about us. God, we know better from the truth of your word, but Lord, we still feel it. We still experience it. But God, would you help us to take courage as you told so many people who were in distress to take courage because you were with them, to take courage because you remember their faithfulness and to take courage because you promise a great hope and a future for your children who simply remain faithful. God, help us to do that. No matter what it is that we may be experiencing today in our lives, let us take courage and take heart knowing that you are with us. Father, in every step of the way, that even when we fail and falter, that we'd be willing to let you pick us back up as our loving Heavenly Father, to stand us aright, to set our footsteps firm, to put that new song in our mouth that we would proclaim that truth that all may see and know that you are God. Father, we sing about it again now that we want to stand for you with our arms high, our hearts abandoned, just surrendering ourselves to you, knowing that you are with us. Thank you for your great presence that comforts us. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with us and sing? stand with arms high and heart abandoned in all of the one who gave it all I'll stand my soul Lord to you surrender all I am is your 